Thank you. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've been doing this series looking in the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how you're finding it. I don't, this book, it's, uh, I, I love it, I have to say. I'm sure uh, it is written to melancholics like myself. This is kind of, it just, it speaks to me. But anyway, um, I'm going to read you the first uh, 12 verses of chapter 7, which says, A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why are the days of old better than these? For it is not wise to ask such a question. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. So if you can get past the first verse which says, Better is the day of death than the day of birth... You'll carry on reading, hopefully, and see that this passage is really a passage that is contrasting wisdom and foolishness, which um, is a common theme of these kind of uh, the Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. You, hear, you see these contrasts of wisdom and foolishness. Um, and the wisdom that's been spoken of here is, is having a perspective, having a goal in view, having, having the end in view. And to live with a view of the end is to, is to live with wisdom is what this is saying. To live without a goal, to live sort of aimlessly and sort of just, you know, without a guide, if you like, and not knowing the end, is saying that this is foolishness. To not know your eternal purpose is foolishness. And so, in verse 1, it says the day of death is better than the day of birth, which is a bit of a strange thing to... If you just read that, you think, oh... Great. <laughs> what is this going on with? If you carry on to verse 8, it says the end of the matter is better than the beginning. The end is better than the beginning. This is the wisdom because it's giving us a perspective that actually the end is where we're heading. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I was going to ask you, we can do a little bit of interaction here. Um, long haul flights. I was wondering who's done the longest long haul flight. We'll have a bit of a competition. I know the Welches are off to Florida. So do you know how many thousand miles that is? Chris, you've probably looked this up. You're a stats man. They'll be on Google in a minute. Be... <laughs> so who's been further than Florida? Because I know they're going to Florida. I'm guessing we've got some here from Sri Lanka. So I know that, Pinto, you've been further than that, probably. Uh, so we've got Sri Lanka. Alaska. Alaska. Ooh. Why'd you go to Alaska? We had a cruise. Oh, OK. Alaska and saw the wild animals, whales. And you flew back? I flew back. Okay. John? Australia. 
Australia. Oh, See, I didn't think anyone had been to Australia, but you've just trumped over it because we've been to the Philippines and that's actually further than Alaska. I looked it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's even further than Peru because I knew Louise would try and gazump my Philippines trip. John, well done. You have the long haul flight record of the church. So there you go. We'll give you a little badge for that. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but anyone who's been on a long haul flight, so anything more than sort of three hours, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but it, for me, I love flying. It starts with excitement, especially if you're flying with children. It starts with excitement, and you get on the aeroplane, and you get yourself comfy, and it's kind of exciting. And then there's takeoff, and there's that kind of, ooh, feeling when it, sort of, you go down the runway, and you're looking out, and, and, uh, and you can see. I don't know about you, but I always, when we take off from Heathrow, I'm trying to find our house. Does everyone else do that? You think, there's the M25, there's the M25. Ooh, and similarly, coming back into London, I love. I went actually uh, to the Shard with my mum the other day, and we've seen the planes literally just flying past their head. But you know, when you come into London, and you come in, um, anyway. So I, I just like sort of looking at that kind of thing. Um, and then you get yourself comfy, and then you start exploring the in-flight entertainment. Okay, boys, this is like heaven for you because it's like computer games on tap, videos on tap. I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's coming, and and you think this is just great. And then half an hour later, you're looking at the in-flight map with a little aeroplane that tells you where you are in the world and thinking, we must be nearly there by now. I'll just check on the map. And then you realise that you've actually just journeyed from Heathrow to maybe Birmingham or wherever you're going. And you think, right, OK, we've got a little way to go. And I don't know about you, but you just keep coming back to that map, don't you? Thinking, well, I'll just check it, make sure we're nearly there and we're not nearly there. And it just goes on and on and on doesn't it and it gets boring pretty quickly and then you start to get uncomfortable and then you realise you can't sleep and it goes on for hours and hours and hours and then if you go into the Philippines just, just when you're just getting maybe just starting to you're so tired you fall asleep they wake you up with a meal <laughs> well they call it a meal but it's this kind of rehydrated it's been sat in the aeroplane kitchen for 12 hours kind of rehydrated eggs and we had a bunwich on the way to Philippines. I don't know if this is a Filipino thing, but have anyone else heard of a bunwich? I think it was just a sorry excuse for just like some bread product with rubbery bacon or something in it. Avoid the bunwich, my recommendation. And then you land and it's all over. You think until you get to customs and then there's a long queue. And if you're going to America, there's a long queue with people with guns at the end of it. And... Um, and you get there and you think, oh dear, cues, and then you've got to pick up your bags, and then sometimes the bags don't turn up or they take a long time to turn up, and you think, surely of the time I've spent in this queue that you would have got my back to the thing. You haven't. Security. All of this. And then you arrive. And then you realise, finally, that that was worth it because you've got to your destination. And whether you're seeing friends or family or your holiday destination, you realise that that pain that you've just been through for the last 12 hours or 24 hours, how long it takes to get to Australia, was all worth it because now finally you've arrived. But if you didn't have that end in view, even playing endless games of Tetris, which I tried on the way to the Philippines, but Abigail was better at it than me, sticking at it, but it just gets a little bit tiresome after a while, doesn't it? It gets hard work. But the end of the matter is better than the beginning, as it says here in Ecclesiastes. I was thinking of another example, not one that I know personally, but um, I was going to talk about cycling, but I talk about cycling a lot. So I thought I'll go for something I really know a lot about, which is pregnancy. But um, I'm not going to ask who's had the longest pregnancy, okay, in the room. Well, we won't go for that. But, you know, again, that starts with excitement, doesn't it? It's like, 
pregnant, we're going to have a baby, and you have all these hopes and dreams, and then, then you think, ooh, and then the morning sickness happens, and then there's apparently weight gain and fatigue and hormones and cravings and aches and pains, and you get uncomfortable and you can't find a position to sleep in. I'm not saying that pregnancy is all bad. Who am I to talk? I don't know. I have observed it, but, uh, you know. And then it comes to labour. I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, then you've got to push the thing out. Yeah, right? Apparently that's quite painful. Um, I fell asleep at one pit, which Louise will never forgive me for. Would you? Uh, and and labour can last quite a while as well, can't it, apparently? Um, but then the child is born. And actually, uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine just the uh, uh, he, he said, you had another one. Because <laughs> just, they just had the baby and he was like, you had another one, as if to say, really? But, you know, once you have the baby, then you realise that actually... The end of the matter is better than the beginning. Yeah? Now, Ecclesiastes takes this perspective to its extreme. And in verse 1, as we've read several times now, it says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. I mean, that's an extreme way of looking at this, that the end of the matter is better than the beginning. But then Ecclesiastes likes to push us to these melancholic extreme ways. And and in verse 2 it says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. In verse 4 it says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of pleasure. Now, I wonder how that statement sits with you. I was talking this through with Abigail on the way to school, because I like to cheer her up before a school day. And um, I said, you know, I mean, basically this verse is talking about, would you rather be, you know, uh, in a funeral or in a party? And she's like, (laughs) Dad... You know, in modern language, that's, you know, would you rather be in a funeral or would you rather be at a pub? Strange question. Because actually, you'd think, surely, we'd rather be at a party, yeah, rather than the funeral. And maybe that's because we live in an age where we, we actually do avoid thinking about the inevitable things in life, which Ecclesiastes would say is foolishness. We avoid talking about death, don't we? We, do, we think it's a bit depressing and, or sad and upsetting, a bit dark, a bit... Really, do we have to do this? And actually, a lot of we, what our culture, our modern scientific uh, culture and social advancements are really trying to put off death, almost like death has become unnatural to us. Do, do you know what I mean? It's like we, we don't talk about it because it's like we're always saying that death is just, it's not part of life. We've distanced ourselves from it. And as a result, we live in an age which lives frivolously, doesn't it? it, it um, it doesn't consider its end and just lives for the now, lives for the pleasure, lives for the moment. And it's like sometimes we bury our head in the sand and hope that death will go away and maybe it just won't notice us and we'll just move on. But it's from Ecclesiastes we read that a wise person is the person who knows how to engage with and contemplate life and death and grief and loss. Because when we contemplate those things, it gives us perspective and value and helps us to prioritise what's important now, doesn't it? When we understand the end, when we know the end, it, 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 it helps us to make sense of, of where we are now. And so, Ecclesiastes, funny enough, is sort of saying, and uh, uh, it's, like, it's good to go to a funeral, he's saying. It's good to go to the house of mourning. What do we do at a funeral? We reflect on a person's life, their story, their character, their qualities, their achievements. Don't, don't we do those things? We reflect on what we've gained from that person, what we've learned from them, and how it challenges us and how it challenges us to live now. 
And depending on our relationship with that person, it might um, help us understand ourselves a bit better because we might think, oh, I realise I do this because of that person was like that. At the end of last year, my first music teacher, um, he died of, um, of lung cancer. And so I went to his funeral. And um, obviously there's a lot of musicians there, lots of people that he taught. Um, and this is the guy who started me off playing the trumpet and then the trombone and then he gave me a he said I think you'll be really good on the tuba and here I am you know if you don't know me I'm a tuba player by profession and um and he gave me opportunity he actually he gave me an instrument to play um which I actually still have it's in the office here it's beaten up old tuba and then he he when I got a bit better he actually got a county to buy like a professional level tuba which then I got to play and then he, he promoted he got me into junior guild tour and I did all these things and he did that not just for me but he, I realise now as I went to his funeral he did it for many 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 other people and there'll be countless people who say this man got me into this this and this and it's only when I look back because at the time as a kid you just think oh here's a teacher you know the stuff just falls into your lap doesn't it and you just kind of do it and you... it's only when you look back and you reflect on somebody and you think oh, because they did this I've ended up here. So it's good to ponder these things and it's good to reflect and say that actually the end of the matter is better than the beginning. I had no idea when I was eight years old picking up my first trumpet where I'd end up now. But he helped me in that. So it's good to be reminded of that. In verse 3 it says, Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. That's a strange one. We would expect it to be the other way around. Laughter and mirth, as it speaks of in, in, in here, are, are quite superficial, really. You know, John told me, it was a good joke, actually. John told me a good joke at the beginning of the service. I'll, he can tell you later. That's all right. Um, but that laughter, it amuses us temporarily, but it's really the sorrow is the thing that works us deeply, works, works in us deeply, isn't it? This joy and this peace comes to us in Christ when we face our pains and work through them. When we face the hardships and, and when overcome them and work through them. When we face the reality of life and, and know God's deliverance and freedom through it. Our hearts are more deeply transformed when we face the tough things in life and, and allow God to help us through them. I know a lot of us actually, I can see people nodding because they know what that's like because people have been through tough times know that that actually at the end of it is what brings the deep joy in our soul rather than the superficial things. And, um, you know, victory comes in Jesus, doesn't it? When we name our fears. If you notice Jesus, when he, when he deals with demons, he, he often will get them to... He said to the one, um, what's your name? And once the demon had named itself, Legion, then he had the power over it because he was facing it. You know, and so we need to do that a lot of the time. We need to say, this is what I'm facing. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it out. And once we do that, once we face it, then God is able to bring victory in it. And so this is wisdom. This, and that's what brings the joy. You can paper over the cracks as long as you like, but... It's only when you fix the root problems does the healing occur. So sorrow is better than laughter, it says, because a sad face is good for the heart. 
It's good for your heart condition. You won't get anywhere if you can't learn to face your sorrows. But if you do, you're able to go deeper. And if you're able to, to, to go through that, um, you won't be held in that paralyzing fear, but you'll be able to move forward because the end is better than the beginning. That's the message. If we can go through these things, the end is better than the beginning. I'm going to move on to verse 10. It says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is foolishness to ask such questions. Now, I want to be, let's be honest. How many people here have actually come along and sort of said in some, oh, do you remember when? And then we talk about the olden days as if it was better then. Come on, hands up. We'll have a confession. Yeah, we all do it. Don't we all do it? You know, as if like, oh, I remember, you know, um, the good old days. I'm forever telling my children about when I was a child, I used to play football in the park in the summer and we used to have games and it was like, 50-45 was the score and we would just play for hours on end and this was the good old days when the sun shone all summer and we never had rain and it was just much better then that kind of thing you know this nostalgic rose-tinted past world not now but there's a there's a caution here it's foolishness to to look back and say the old days were better than these I think it's meaning that we can't change the past good or bad we, and we can't live in the past. I'm 45 now, and a game of football that went to 50 goals each way, I will be dead. <laughs> so, so I can't live in that now. Um, I can't live in the past. Time, time only moves forward. We can only live today, and we can, always, we can only head towards the future. So if we, we live in regret from what lies behind, or we live in nostalgia from what lies behind, it doesn't really actually do us an awful lot of good, because we are here now. And we can only go forwards. But in Christ we can know that the end is better than the beginning. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. And that's really my focus verse here in verse 8 which says the end of the matter is better than its beginning. There's a chap called Thomas Merton who was this strange mystic of a man uh, the beginning of the last century and he said this he says your life is shaped by the end you live for the li- your life is shaped by the end you live for and so I think Ecclesiastes here is urging us to get a perspective on the end and now we are in Christ this is written uh, before Christ but we're now we're in Christ we have a very sure end in Christ which should shape the way we live now no matter what lies behind Jesus has a better future ahead of us. The end of our matter is better than our beginning. No matter what life is like now, the end ahead of us in Jesus is better than where we are now. And so it's wise to enter the house of mourning to get a perspective of what lies ahead of us. And to reflect as we did last week. Last week we we scattered Margaret's ashes in in the front garden and we reflected on her life again. And we reflected on that faith and that eccentricity and that passion and that care, uh, as some of us mentioned, and that welcome that others mentioned. And we reflected on Margaret. And it's good to reflect on that because the end is better than the beginning. And we can join as we reflect like that and join with Paul as he wrote and he said, For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. 
the end of the matter is better than the beginning, is what he's saying. So I want you to consider the big end. You know, read the end of the scripture. Mankind and God dwelling together. Creation renewed and restored. Death, sickness, pain, sorrow, suffering gone. Peace, joy and wholeness come. Life in its fullness just bursting forth. Read the last pages of the Bible because the end is better than the beginning. Consider consider the big end. You know, sometimes we're encouraged when we get a book. I'm not so good at this, but, you you know, if you want to find out what happened at the end, but you're encouraged not to read the last page of the story because it will spoil it. Yeah, are we? You know, but we don't read the Bible like that. Read the end. (laughs) You won't spoil the story. In fact, you'll make the story come alive when you know where the end is because it's not just the end of the story of the book here in a book, but it's our end as well. Read the last page of the book. It gives you meaning and direction. And even when life is hard, you will know that the end is better than where you are now. Even though there may be some really hard things that have gone behind, you will know that the end is better than that. Even if everything behind you is great, and you have a great nostalgic past, you will know that the end is even better. And if we take the words of Merton, your life is shaped by the end you live for, it will transform how we live now. Not by the things that are behind us. So many of us, and we all have a history, but so many of us carry the baggage of the things that are behind us. But Christ urges us to know where we are going and let that shape and form us. Christ has taken the baggage from behind and brought a new hope through his resurrection. So consider the big end of our lives, the big end of all of our lives, the big end of everything. Read the last pages. Know that it is a better end than the beginning. And know that it is better to depart and be with Christ. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. This is the wisdom of the book that we're reading here. To look ahead. Living with the end in view. Let me just finish with this then. So in Christ... The end is better than the beginning. In Christ, new Jerusalem, the end is better than Eden, the beginning. New birth is better than birth. New life is better than life. New creation is better than creation. Resurrection life is better than this life. The spiritual body is better than the natural body. The age to come is better than this age. And as it says in Hebrews, therefore let us run with perseverance the the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. In Philippians, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. So I hope now we can read this again. I'm just going to read you verse 1 again. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Can you see how that marries together with what Paul is saying? The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Can you see how that works together? That no matter how good or bad your life is now, in Christ we are heading towards a better future. That is our hope.
I'm going to pray. And let's just ask God to re-envision us with that. Sometimes it seems so far away that it isn't a reality to us. But let us, let the, let our lives be shaped by the end we're going to live for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we have a great, great hope. That no matter what is behind us or where we are now, whether it is good or bad, whether it's hard or easy, the end is always better. Let us take this wisdom, this ancient wisdom of, of saying it is better to to go to the house of mourning than the house of joy. Let us take that and take it to heart and know that the end of the matter is better than its beginning in Jesus. And I want to pray particularly for people here now who have been through hard times or are going through hard times that you would give them this joy, give them this hope, give them this perspective Given the security, through the resurrection of Jesus, there is hope for our future beyond here and now. Beyond the troubles, beyond the difficult things now. This momentary affliction is, is just a temporary thing, but we press on towards the glory that is ahead of us. Prime Minister, hope to all of us now, whatever we're going through, minister your hope and bring that deep joy in our souls and our hearts to know this is a reality. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen.